Welcome again to Our Street. Lynn Fisher here with my buddy Kurt Elder, as always. Kurt, good to hear you today. Oh, hey, thanks, Lynn. You know, uh, 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 we're now into our seventh or eighth show, something of that, with this affordable housing miniseries. Uh, just for our listeners know, we got into this topic because many of our listeners know that I, uh, I work for the city of Lincoln. Lynn's involved in many kinds of housing. And, and together, uh, when we talk about housing, we talk about the production of it, but we don't really know a lot about what goes into it. So this was our effort just to learn more about how that process works. The opportunity to introduce himself to our uh, radio. Jake, can you tell us a little your, your um, familiarity with Lincoln, how, how you joined your um, current role within the Hoppy team, and we'll just let you go from there. Take as much time as you need. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, so Jake Hoppy again, managing principal at Hoppy Development. Uh, I came into this, this was an extension of a family effort uh, going back many years. And Fred Hoppy, who's my father, got interested in affordable housing and more esoteric forms of real estate development, actually starting with historic tax credits in the early 90s um, and started leveraging sort of that experience within the tax credit program into affordable housing to where he was developing a project every couple of years alongside he had a legal practice that focused on real estate law. I have been away for a long time, uh, was in Colorado, Boston, and San Francisco, working in uh, some other fields, somewhat adjacent, uh, somewhat not, and came back in 2019 to join the family effort. And we really sat down at that time and assessed what it was that we did well and what it was where the market seemed to be asking us to participate and what was interested in having us do. And that was really around affordable housing. That was a, some expertise that Fred had built up. And then we really dove in with two feet. That's what all the communities and potential partners that we were talking about were really interested in. And we knew how to navigate some of the programs fairly well. Uh, so at that time, there were about four or five of us sitting around a table getting ready to do our first project. Uh, at this point, there's about 40 of us. We really focus exclusively on affordable housing and we kind of define it in two contexts one is capital a affordable housing which is really your your highly regulated um tax credit programs and then we call the other portions just lowercase a affordable housing which is you know housing that we're looking to put into the ground in some capacity or, or programmatically to some extent has some affordability component or is is trying to reach some affordability goals that are appropriate for the community where it is, but maybe doesn't have the extremely high level of compliance of capital A affordable housing. So we are a development company, a construction company, and a management company. All three of those uh, components are really important to us. We build between four and 500 units a year all through the state of Nebraska. Our headquarters is in Lincoln, so Lincoln always has a special uh, serving the Lincoln community is a, a special area of affinity for us. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the crux of it. It's been a really, you know, I've learned a lot. And so I've been doing this since 2019, really, uh, learned a lot in that a short period of time. You know, we talk a lot about how innovation within housing is really challenging. Um, innovation around affordability, probably especially so. And 
just kind of within our firm that we're willing to jump in and, and try some things and some of the projects that we've we'll have in our portfolio from our early years, probably, you know, at a later period, we'd look back and, and question whether we might've done those again, but it won't stop us from having tried them and from experimenting and uh, and working in service really of both the communities and the oftentimes the, either the community or a social service provider that we're partnered with in some capacity. Well, great. Well, to follow up on that, that comment, Jake, um, are there one or two projects that you wouldn't do if you look back and, and had to do it over over again? Uh, you know, we're really just, to be honest with you, a lot of the precedent work, a lot of the work that we did in 2019, 2020, we're just now kind of seeing the impact of because it takes so long to put together. We, we did an experiment where we bought up a number of nursing homes that had failed, so they'd closed down and we converted them into housing in three different communities. And it's not that we wouldn't do that again. It's actually worked really well. Uh, we would probably refine how we would approach it in certain circumstances. One of the buildings that we acquired was, was much, much larger than the other two and was a bit more of a challenge in the renovation. So I, I wouldn't say that there are you know specific projects that we would approach a lot of the same things differently. Uh, not that we wouldn't have done them or or didn't or haven't found a lot of value in them. But I think it does get to the you know really the challenge around innovation in housing is so tough. You know your your feedback cycle is so long between when you start a project to when you're really seeing it impact the market. Um, that you know it becomes very risk averse, which is in a period when you when you want more innovation around affordability when you want more innovation in housing um we got to find ways to support that a little differently how how has increased uh, uh interest borrowing costs affected your future plans with projects what's well, slowed down what we've been doing a lot is integrating affordable housing into market rate neighborhoods so the big one we're working on in lincoln right now is around hope community church at 77th and pioneers by wright park and there we're under construction with 170 affordable units and they're meant to be co-located and integrated in a community of you know uh, at the end it'll be around 400 to 420 units in total and so it, it slowed down a little the pace at which we're able to do the market rate housing that is intending to be adjacent to the affordable housing and one of the nice things about affordable housing is you you're kind of in a position where you define the project and you're able to ask for the resources or define the project differently in a higher interest rate environment so I don't anticipate that it'll slow down a lot of our affordable work. I guess the other side, um, we have been experimenting a lot with trying to do affordable for sale units. It's an especially challenging area of the market. Um, and that area has slowed down considerably where uh, just where when we designed some of these programs, you know, we we sized up down payment assistance that we thought would help borrowers that are at 80% median income. Well, now finding an 80% median income borrower who can afford the monthly payments is extremely challenging. Uh, so it's hurt us on a couple fronts, but you know, on the core affordability, 
it just redefines what we're able to do. But because we're able to ask for the resources that we need, you know, theoretically, it doesn't impact us as much as, um, or we hope it won't impact us too much. Jake, if I could go back to just just that recent comment, trying to build housing for, for persons that were of 80% or less AMI, area medium income. The problem was that people couldn't afford the monthly payment. If we take a step back from that, what were those homes being assessed at? Rough justice. Well, we I'm were going to work back to see what that monthly payment might be. Yeah, we were initially expecting to put the houses at on the market at around two seventy five, with a fifty thousand dollar down payment assistance program. I, I mean, they, we've got these homes in a few different communities, so we were initially so they're probably depending on the community price between two fifty and two eighty five, uh, and then we had between thirty and fifty thousand dollars in down payment assistance in each of the communities where we were working so we were hoping to get you know a home on the market uh, sort of an effective price a, a mortgage of maybe you know 220 to 240 which at a four or five percent interest rate is pretty affordable still and at a seven eight percent interest rate you know it's really hard to find that buyer who simultaneously sort of qualifies for the program and can qualify for the loan and make those monthly payments. You, you, you've been talking about asking for asking for some help on these pro projects. You're talking about the federal government, you're talking about local government, are you talking about uh, uh, TIF, are you talking about grants? Give us a, a description of kind, kinds of help that you, uh, that you get on these projects. Yeah, so the core is the low-income housing tax credit program. So that is kind of the anchor, um, and so that's a, a you know a federal program administered through the state. There's an application period. Uh, there's different types of these credits. There's what we call the nine percent program and the four percent program. So we can go into to that as much as we want, but uh, that's the when we really think about our work that we do in the capital a affordable housing space that's what we're talking about but in the last two or three years there have been a lot of different affordability programs that have come out some through the arpa covid relief funding ben actually has a great project in lincoln that's partially financed through uh, an arpa grant um and so then there are these other sort of uh secondary programs that either will be layered with tax credits or might stand alone that we're doing and i guess when you talk about you know the the biggest challenge that we have uh with affordable housing is not necessarily high interest rates or low interest rates it's the fluctuation in the interest rate so the issue the biggest issue that we have is we have to design these projects really you know 12 to 18 months ahead of when we're able to close all the resources because we'll have intermediary deadlines that we have to meet for instance for NIFA and so having a seven percent interest rate is completely fine so long as it stays stable at seven percent and that you know obviously the challenge in the last 16 18 months was that many of these projects were sized and resources were sized based on a you know four or five percent interest rate that then ballooned and that's the piece that gets a little challenging. Um, when we look at those pools that Lynn just mentioned, TIP, others, Litech, is there a is there a way for Lincolnites, an average Lincolnite, to come in and invest with you to help provide affordability? 
or are you just going playing with the big dogs? Is there a way that the community can be a better partner, either through the Lincoln Community Foundation, through a partner with a nonprofit? Is there a pathway there? Well, Lincoln is uh, has created a pathway there with uh, the nonprofit Community Development Resources. I'm not sure if they've participated in this. Uh, not they, yet. They're on. They're on. They're on deck. They're on the deck. All right, great. Well, that was, uh, you know, a move that the city made to create kind of a conduit for all of these resources. And so, I actually, I just participated in a session at the Lincoln Community Foundation about um, mission investing, and you know, the concept of being able to donate to the Lincoln Community Foundation, have that donation. Um, leveraged or effectively loaned out to community development resources to provide gap financing or creative financing to catalyze certain projects where you're actually still expecting the uh, funding to be returned. It's, it's not a grant to CDR. That's the luxury that I think we have within real estate is that in many cases, the need that can catalyze an affordable project or an innovative project, I mean, kind of both, does not necessarily have to be a grant uh, of funds, but because of the strong, you know, nature of, of kind of how lending and real estate can work, it can be a subordinated note into the real estate in exchange for some commitments around uh, a variety of different programming. But you know, it could be commitments around affordability, could be commitments around sustainability. In the case of Ben's project at, at 23rd NAR, there are commitments around both of those things, both a, a net zero program and uh, affordable housing. So I, there are ways, and those funds have come into our projects in a variety of ways. Um, we are working with them in, we effectively use that, that structure to help acquire a large site you know, before we would have been ready to do it with the tax credit resources for a tax credit project, we are able to get funding from the community foundation uh, to help us go acquire it in advance of having all the resources allocated to it while we applied for the resources. Um, and in a different a variety of ways, we've kind of utilized those structures. Uh, but the short answer is yes. <laughs> very very good rookie we're at the halfway point of our show we're going to take a short break so for our <laughs> listeners stay tuned we'll be back in just a couple of minutes welcome back to our street lynn fisher here with kurt elder and we're chatting today with uh, jake hoppy and ben Koontz, both with hoppy development and uh so we had an interesting first half of the show and talked about uh, affordable housing. And Kurt has a question for Jake to kind of open up the second half of the show. Go ahead, Kurt. You know, so as we were talking during the break, the question that formed was, uh, and then redefine it if you want to, Jake, that's fine. But can you help us define the balance between affordability and neighborhood needs? And if you want to put that into a different way to address it in a different way, feel free to just do that. But yeah, I'll, I'll jump into that and also kind of come back to what we talked about during the break, which was what does it mean to support affordable housing? Uh, I think both of these are are tied together a little bit. And and we got into this during the, uh, when Lincoln was passing the Affordable Housing Action Plan, 
which at the time that we were passing that plan, we were also working on on kind of a large scale development in a historic neighborhood along the edge of of Wayuka Cemetery. And there were real tensions between a neighborhood which wanted a, a really significantly downsized project and us as developers who were looking at the constraints of the tools that we had and saying this project only works at a certain scale. And you know, I think the, the challenge we had as a community was how to look at that and say, look, we're for affordable housing and we're for this project. Because I think when you start to talk about a project, you start to get into the context of, you know, a real neighborhood, real people in that neighborhood voicing concerns that they have around the changing of their neighborhood. Much of this happens no matter whether the housing is affordable or not affordable but it is especially exacerbated when the housing is affordable housing. Uh, and so I think we as a community have to look at these intersections and say, you know, how do we navigate uh, a world in which we're gonna be both pro affordable housing in the aggregate, but then also make sure that we're also supporting these projects that are coming up within the context of those projects that might have very specific uh, you know, opponents and still stick with being pro affordable housing in those contexts. And I think what gets challenging there is, you know, we as developers need to be held accountable as well. But at the end of the day, you know, what we find, you know, on our side time and again is that, uh, you know, the, the resources are a matrix. We can only do so much with the resources that we have. Uh, scale is one of those tools that helps us to achieve projects. And often that means having a, an outsized impact into the neighborhood where they're going. So I guess if to say it sort of, you know, it's always complicated to put it into a neighborhood, but I, to say what can people do to support affordable housing, I think the biggest thing where we see uh, a challenge is when it goes from the translation from the policy level to the project level and being willing to raise your hand and say, you know what, I support not just affordable housing in, as a policy concept, but I support it here in my neighborhood or I support it with that particular project. And we recognize that that's going to have impacts to the to the neighborhood or the context in which it's set. But we are in so much need of affordable housing, we're willing to navigate or you know, work to fix what those repercussions might be. Um, so, great answer. We're gonna move on to that next question. And this revolves around the last conversation we had in our uh, last interview, which was with the assessor's office. Yeah. Uh, in that uh, uh, interview, we had made mention that there was an article in the Lincoln Journal SAR that in general, and if I simplify it too far, please correct me, that's fine, but in general, uh, those who have affordable housing, uh, they are assessed under a certain program, a, a section 42 house uh, that classically looked at the maximum that that they did the assessment based on an income approach, but yeah. based on some factors that was happening that they were seeing, seeing how different developers and different communities were having increased expenses, which then brought down their total assessment down to zero. They then did an adjustment and went to perhaps a market rate adjustment, which the effect is going from 
a property that might be $5 million to a property being assessed at $20 million, and that has an impact on you. Uh, they would say that they went through a process uh, and they have their position, and I'm sure that there's no, I'm sure that all parties are working through the correct avenues and channels to get remedies that they feel are appropriate. But can you give us your thoughts and take on that whole scenario and what you think should happen or, or, or what you might prognosticate that you think will happen in this coming legislative cycle? Yes, uh, and it's well-timed. We've, we've been having some dialogue back and forth about what the solution will look like. But at, you know, at a very high level, uh, these affordable housing units are, the rents and expenses are generally different than a market rate home. And they're, they're required to be by a land use restriction agreement. So once a, a, a tax credit house is in operation, it is operating under a regime, a compliance regime that specifies what rent can be charged. Over time, there were a variety of different ways that these tax credit projects came together and various levels of concessions that went along with those. So we've got projects that are operating under, um, you know, targeting and required to target 40% of area median income. And in addition, are required to provide certain services to those tenants. And then we've got projects you know, projects exist where it's 60% median income and with some different requirements. Uh, and basically what the law set up was that we would submit our actual operating expenses and income every year. And the assessor would value, use an income-based approach, which is, it's the approach is really the same as what they do for market rate housing. They were just using our actual income in the assessment of the, of the section 42 housing or the, or the tax credit housing. So we were pretty comfortable with that regime. Uh, there are instances where it created anomalies. Um, and I think in previous assessor regimes, th those anomalies were dealt with in some fairly normal ways for uh, the appraisal world, like going back to the trailing three-year average or going back to the past year's assessments. There's certainly reasons why you know, one might apply the formula, uh, but the law actually gave the assessor's office latitude to look at these on a case-by-case -case basis, recognize what would appear to be an anomaly and have an alternative method for that particular project. So it, the law already um, encompassed that sort of set of solutions. So we were really surprised at, at you know, the what really ended up being a, a blanket reassessment of all tax credit housing um, I don't want to get too far ahead of things, but we had some very good sessions recently. We think the legislation that's coming forward will address, uh, there were really two challenges. One was the way the law had been written and specifically the category it had been written under. Uh, there were some constitutional questions as to that category. And then there's another set of issues around some of the anomalies that were being produced. I think we've actually ended up focusing on the first issue of how to ensure that that what is down is constitutional. And I think that the, the result is gonna be a fairly consistent valuation regime to what we had previously, um, just with the uh, constitutionality question shored up so that there is not an opportunity for a property without a land use restriction agreement to raise their hand and say, hey, we want to be treated the same way that this property with the land use restriction agreement is. 
I want to pick your creative bone. Earlier you said if you could have that you know, magic wand that could create the innovation or create opportunities to create stability, what would those be? Uh, one of them you know, might be parking issues. One of them might be you, know, you might have a lending institution that can give you a, a long-term rate at a mortgage level. What are the tools you need to be more successful to do this good work? And assuming that we're not going to win the lottery and get a bunch of free money, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, sometimes we might say, is that, you know, would it be nice if we got uh, bonuses or augmentations if you provided services to your clients that were on site? Could you get some kind of relief that way? What if you got density bonuses if you provided affordability at a certain level, or if you got height height waivers if you did X Y Z, or if you allowed LA or if you allowed LHA to build into your projects with you so they would add to your construction value but build more units. What kind of freedoms would make this better for Lincoln? Yeah, well, one thing, if I could really wave a magic wand, it would be that the affordable housing resources were not so challenging to secure and administer that we keep out a huge number of market rate developers who are doing great work throughout the community, but are really unsure of how to engage with these resources and therefore don't pursue them at all. You know, one of the things that we've been working towards is how do we integrate affordable housing into market rate housing? How do we create or, or really challenge the notion that affordable housing has to be done in kind of overlooked infill lots that are already in high poverty neighborhoods but how could you unlock the ability for you know any new project being developed by speedway or cip or others in the community of lincoln to to make to have a, a programs that are attractive enough that they would give pause and try to be integrating these affordable housing programs into their otherwise market rate communities wherever they're developing I think that would unlock a lot of innovation outside of, you know, what a specialist in affordable housing like Hoppy Development is able to do. But I'm also going to punt this to Ben because yeah, he's been the most innovative uh, in some ways on our team. Ben, is there anything you wish you had uh, as you've been looking at the landscape? In 30 well, seconds, Ben. <laughs> one thing I think about is that long feedback loop. There's time on the front end of a project we could peel off by opening up zoning requirements and shortening the entitlement process. Just not much you can do in terms of good projects, um, kind of by right, as they say. Uh, you almost always have to rezone something to have a good project. Well, you know, you've got, you've got to figure out a way, if there is a way, to incentivize people who would otherwise not do these projects because they have a profit motive, of course, and unless they just have it, you know, as, as a charitable operation to build affordable housing, they're going to opt to spend their resources and, and, and build something that's going to be more profitable. So I guess uh, it kind of boils down to government intervention, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I, I would take a little issue with that just in this. I mean, we're a for-profit company. Uh, I like to think we do okay uh, in the development of affordable housing. I think there's ways to structure it where folks could be either mitigating risk or getting returns. It, it, there's just a really high barrier to entry in affordable housing. It's so specific of an area of knowledge 
Uh, and I wish that barrier could be reduced so that people could come in and out of it. You know, maybe in certain yeah. times they move out of it, certain times they move into it. Yeah. Well, we've, we've reached the end of our time and, and I think we just got started. This is really a, <laughs> something, a, a project, a, a subject that we need to, to have you come back and talk more about. So if you guys would uh, do that in the future, we'd love to have you come back. And uh, we really appreciate your time today though and appreciate all your thoughts. Well, appreciate being invited. You know, it's pretty hard to shut us up once we get going on this subject. <laughs> so we're happy to come back anytime and appreciate right. you guys putting a focus on it.